Friends, let us pray. Almighty God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us in the language of our hearts, that we may hear your word with understanding and answer your call. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, today's scripture lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Hear the story we tell this day, every year. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, ah, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I stand here today with a sense of trepidation, knowing that whatever can be said today will fall short. So here goes. The red stole that I'm wearing today was an ordination gift from my family. I was ordained on Pentecost Sunday 10 years ago at North Presbyterian Church in Williamsville, New York. It's the church where I was a member for a number of years and then served on staff and ultimately first experienced this strange and wonderful call to pastoral ministry. I taught their confirmation class there for a couple of years. And it was North Church's long-held tradition to hold the yearly confirmation worship service on Pentecost Sunday. North Church also happens to be the place where our own Becky D'Angelo Veach grew up and where she was confirmed on a Pentecost Sunday, well before my time there. But we share many of the same memories, and we were talking about those earlier this week. It's also the church where Brad's and my children were confirmed on a Pentecost Sunday. The story of Pentecost is a story of beginning anew. It's the story of a new era, the birth of the church. And I never, never, ever tire of the story of the Holy Spirit swooping in like a hurricane-force windstorm, and like flames of fire, as if it were a special effects movie or perhaps even a protest. Because new beginnings are hard and often painful and so often disruptive. And it bears remembering that with few exceptions, almost every new beginning has an ending that precedes it. The ending that comes before is as much a part of a new beginning as the beginning itself. It was that way for the disciples and all of those gathered with them the day the Holy Spirit blew into town. And as we heard in last week's scripture text in the first chapter of Acts, the disciples had been waiting for the inauguration of God's kingdom. After Jesus' resurrection, they had spent 40 days with him, sitting at his feet and holding on to his every word. They heard his promise to them of baptism by the Holy Spirit and the gift of God's power that would come to them through that same spirit. A gift that would empower them to be his witnesses, even to the ends of the earth. They devoted their lives to him. They'd given up everything to follow him. And then Jesus ascended to heaven. He was gone out of sight. 
And all the disciples were left with was this promise. A promise that I imagine felt elusive and vague. So on the day of Pentecost, as they were gathered together, I can imagine they were still processing Jesus' leave-taking and what this ending meant. I can imagine they might have recounted stories of what they had experienced together with Jesus before, they left, before he left them. Do you remember the first time we met him and, and he called us away from our boats and our fishing nets to follow him? Do you remember the time we were on that hill with thousands of people and nothing to eat until a little boy came forward with five loaves of bread and two fishes? Do, do you remember the time he helped us catch all those fish? And when he healed the man with leprosy? Do you remember the time when we fell asleep in the garden while he prayed? Wow, that was embarrassing. Do you remember? Now, admittedly, I'm using a little creative license here for the text doesn't specifically say they were doing this. But it wouldn't surprise me. After all, these stories would have had to be told and retold again for us to still be telling them today. You see, remembering is the sacred work of endings. Do you remember the time when? Do you remember the experiences we shared? On this day of ending, this last day, this last Sunday that I have with you as a pastor to you, remember so much that we have shared. I remember my very first Sunday here. We shared a new beginning that day, a new beginning that came about because Rod Froman, whom I've grown to love as much as you have, retired. And I remember someone likening my coming here to jumping on a fast-moving train. Boy, was that true. We shared ministries of welcome and hospitality. We sat around the table with prospective new members, hearing stories that witnessed to the profound work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Stories that often brought tears to our eyes. We shared cake and cookies at fellowship hour. We talked with visitors to the church and ate hot dogs with our neighbors under a big tent outside. We updated our online presence so that we could better welcome people before they ever stepped foot in this place, and we can continue to welcome even during social distancing. We shared ministries of compassion times in the Celebration Center on a Monday or Thursday morning during food cupboard and people's emergency fund hours or on Saturdays at dining room ministry, a rain overnight, supporting the work of Flower City Habitat for Humanity, 
visits to schools 3 and 35 and East High, to Cameron Community Ministries, a trip to Louisiana, and a week with youth in Texas to do flood recovery work, and so many one-on-one -on -one conversations and prayers together. We shared ministries of collaboration, creating Rock Salt Center together, and partnerships with churches and other providers around the city. We shared ministries of justice. Together, we've advocated for and sought real solutions to the scourge of educational inequity in our city, inequity that continues to keep a knee on the necks of children of color in particular. And that work through our support of Great Schools for All must continue. We shared the ministry of managing a church of this size. We poured over budgets and plans and policies. We sat in, oh, so many meetings together. We worked to become more transparent with one another. And we even went through those dreaded technology learning curves together. Because we understand that a healthy church needs to be able to function in the world as it is with all of its complexities. We shared many tears together as we grieved the deaths of those we loved and as we anguished over tragedies and injustices here and in our country and around the world. We prayed around hospital beds and over the phone and text and email. We shared hard times and disappointments, times of transition, this time of pandemic and quarantine. We've had to be creative together and patient with one another and even forgive one another. For there are times where I fell short as your pastor, and I'm sorry for them. And we shared many joys together. Baptisms of babies and grown-ups alike from weeks old to 93 years of age. The joy of marriages. In the East Avenue grocery run every first Saturday in November, I loved putting on that grocery gal costume and cheering you on. The joy of conversation in the hallway, in a classroom, in a discussion group, in a chance meeting at Wegmans. And we worshiped together and made music together. We all missed the choir. The heartbeat of the church is the worship of God. Worshiping with you has been my Great, great joy. This remembering is holy work. I believe with all my heart that everything that we have shared together that has truly been part of the Missio Dei, the mission of God in the world, everything that has aligned with God's mission has been breathed by the same Holy Spirit that blew in that day of Pentecost when the church was born. 
The same Holy Spirit who came with what Sharon K. George called a miracle of languages, of tongues unleashed, of missionary proclamation, of spontaneous cross-cultural evangelism, of the transformation of timid disciples into bold vocal witnesses. But it bears noting that this powerful beginning didn't feel like a time of celebration. There weren't red balloons and banners and pyramids or a shiny mobile. This powerful beginning was downright bewildering and even frightening. What is going on? What does this mean? Yes, the disciples spoke all these languages so that persons of every nationality and culture could understand, and yet no one had a clue what the implications would be. They would have to trust this same spirit that Jesus had promised them. My dear friends, people of God, we too will have to trust this same spirit. For even though we will now be ministering in different locations, we still share the same mission. We still share bonds of affection. And these ministries that we have shared together will continue to shape us. None of that changes. We are still bound together by the Spirit into Christ's universal church that crosses every humanly imagined boundary. And fueled by the fire of the Spirit, the church must recommit itself to speak in the languages of the Spirit. And when I say speak, I don't mean just with words, but with actions, with our whole selves as a faith community united. Speak the language of welcome and hospitality so that people of all traditions, all gender identities, all ethnicities and cultures and races, all income levels, all of God's people feel the embrace of this community and have a seat at the table of grace. Speak the language of compassion so that people who hurt can become whole, that those who lack resources experience abundance, and that those who are isolated can once again experience true fellowship. Speak the language of collaboration, for none of us can do it alone. We need one another. We need other institutions, other ideas, the creative spirit that can only be birthed in community. Friends, speak the language of justice so that there are no more George Floyds or Christian Coopers or Breonna Taylors who suffer or die because we have racism deeply embedded in ourselves, our institutions, and societal structures. This morning I asked myself, why are we only now outraged at injustice after a night of riots here and in Grand Rapids? and Minneapolis. We must 
speak the language of confession and lament. And we must speak the language of God's dreams and visions for a new creation with our actions and policies and readiness to give up some of our privilege. Speak clearly and transparently. Tend to the well-being of this beloved institution not because the institution itself is the be-all and end-all, but because healthy institutions can be vehicles of God's mission in the world, and those that neglect their organizational and spiritual health get in the way of gospel. Speak the language of hope. Hope that soars higher than these arches and massive ceiling, higher than the highest heavens, and, and hope that drills down deep, deeper than the deepest seas. And most of all, speak the language of love. Love like you have shared with me. Love for the world. And most of all, the love from which nothing can ever separate us, the love made known to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Alleluia. Amen.